was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be. The children were nestled all snug in their beds while visions of sugar plums danced in there. And Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's. When out on the lawn there rose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the... Away to the window I flew like a flash, tore open the shutters and threw up the... The moon on the crest of the new-fallen snow gave the luster of midday to objects. When what, to my wondering eye, should appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny... With a little old driver so lively and quick, I knew in a moment it must be saint. I did not know it when I read that to myself time and time again as a little boy. I couldn't have told you that's a poem. I couldn't have told you that's what I was reading. I only know that we had this neat book in the shape of Santa... And inside of that, it told this wonderful story. And it would be Christmas time. And I read it to myself over and over and over. I never set out to memorize that poem. It says, as an adult, I finally recognized that was a poem I was reading all that time. I just thought it was a great little story that I loved to read. Now, how do we know with our English-speaking ears... We know immediately. Now, there are other forms, don't get me wrong, but how do we know that is a poem? All right, we identify two things in it, just like that. One, it rhymes. You all picked up on the rhymes. Every word you filled in was a rhyming word. The second thing is meter. Was the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. We don't read it that way, of course, but you can pick up the meter. In that. That identifies for us that it's poetry, at least a first level or low level of poetry, if you will, because not all poetry rhymes. Did you know when you read the Psalms, you're reading Hebrew poetry? Now, it doesn't come through in the English because to our ears, one, we don't see the meter in it, and two, we don't hear the rhyming in it. But Hebrew poetry is not built upon meter and rhyme. Hebrew poetry is built upon thought. And there is, as you move through the Psalms, and you could begin looking for it yourself. I'll give you every possible option. But there is in the Psalms this understanding that the poetry is, is in the thought that's involved. So what you will have happen is very often, as you'll notice, one line is repeated. The thought is repeated. Sometimes it's the actual line that's repeated. So there's a repetition of thought. There's a development of thought in some of the Psalms. And sometimes there's a contrast of thought. And there are other things that happen with Hebrew poetry. But those are just a few things that are easy to identify. But understand, Hebrew poetry revolves around thought. Well, today we're coming to Psalm 100. I love this little psalm because it helps us get a really good idea about what Hebrew poetry 
is like. I think I'd be best if I stand here. So Dave, if you would put that up. This is Psalm 100. You'll notice it doesn't read at all like the night before Christmas, but I've set it up this way intentionally, and it reads this way. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. If you've read the little landscape to help explain what we're looking at today... You'll notice, and I've set it up to demonstrate this, that this particular psalm breaks readily into two halves. And that's why I've set it up in this way. First half, second half. And one of the things that we point out, and this is, this is what gives us our outline for the morning. You notice in the bold statement right here that there is a declaration about God in the center of each half. That declaration of God doesn't lead the half. It doesn't finish the half. It is right smack in the middle. And when we break it down, you'll see what I mean. So this is why our notes say that we worship God because he is, we worship the Lord because he is God over us. And we worship the Lord or we praise the Lord because he is, he is good to us. You see those right there? We're going to come back to them. All right. So what I want you to see in looking at this as Hebrew poetry now, what I want you to see is this, this repetition or progress of thought right here at the beginning of this first half. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. The words that come to my mind on that are simply this. Exuberant exaltation. If you were to identify these, you could say they fit under this thing we could call exuberant exaltation. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Everyone needs to come out in full voice and declare how great and wonderful God is. Serve Him with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. Can you see the exuberant exaltation that the psalmist is calling us to that's a that's an exhortation it tells us what to do doesn't it and then in the very middle of this first half this first half runs through verses one two and three in the very middle we get that statement about God know that the Lord he is God I think it's interesting that that it began with make a joyful shout to the Lord all you lands meaning everybody and then identifies know that the Lord He is God. You know what he's just done? The psalmist has just done? He has just dismissed all the pagan gods of all the lands. Dismissed them all as no gods whatsoever. He alone is God. Trent Morse has told us on more than one occasion that in Nepal they have over, is it over 330 million gods? Was that what it was? Oh, he stepped out. I'm looking for his face and now he's not there. I think it was over 330 million gods that they have. Okay? Uh, And this statement, the psalmist says, we dismiss them all because there is but one God. He is the Lord. Okay? Got that? This statement. He is God. As such, he is God. He is God over us. So notice this. It is he who has made us, 
not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Something we don't necessarily like to identify with, but it's a reality, is he owns us. He made us. I mean, none of us said, I think I'll be born next week, right? And then a week later, out we popped. None of us had any say in our birth, in our coming into being, in our existing here. We had nothing to say about it. He made us, not ourselves. That means we are what what we call contingent beings. He could, if he decided, unmake us. We've talked about this before, haven't mentioned it in a while. But if he were to simply determine, you know, I think I've had enough of Mike Adamick. I don't think I want him to exist anymore. And God just quit willing Mike's existence. Boop! This guy right here, he's gone. Okay? Right here, he's gone. Don't turn around, you'll blind yourself. Okay. He'd be gone. Because the only reason Mike continues to exist, or any of us here, is because God sustains us. He is God. And He is completely sovereign over us. And as such... We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So not only as God does he sustain our very being, but he does with us what he will. He has the right to do whatever he wants with us. So Bobby Dahl, who had cattle for many, many years, Bobby Dahl never once asked the cattle, are you ready for me to ship you to be butchered? Are you ready to go? Do do I need to get your opinion whether or not you want to go become hamburger? Never gave it a second thought. Bob said, these are the cattle I'm shipping. This is what I'm doing. And he didn't ask their opinion, did he? Because he was in charge of them. Do you understand that God has that same kind of charge over us? That he has the right to do whatever he chooses to do with us? Now that can be a little discomforting, can't it? But that is the reality that's why the scripture asks us to, with this question, does the, does the clay say to the potter, what have you done with me? I mean, think about the magnitude of what he is saying when he says, know that the Lord, he is God. And we exist become of, because of him and we exist under his authority. Wow, that's powerful stuff. That's the first half of Psalm 100. Now notice the second half. And the reason I've structured it this way is for you to see it. It, uh, Hopefully easier. Verse 4. We're going to get a repetition right here. So we have not only the repetition within the verse or two verses. We have a repetition in this particular poem of thought. The entire thought repeats itself with little variations. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. Two things I just want to point out on that. Number one, you've noticed that I've underlined joyful shout, gladness, singing, thanksgiving, praise, thankful, bless, seven different Hebrew words that each give us this exhortation to exuberant exaltation of God. They come through in our English, you know, you see thankfulness twice, something relative to that. But the Hebrew words are seven different words. The second thing I'd like you to notice, that as this now shows us, because there's this, this progression of this thought, remember, Hebrew poetry is about thought. Now we enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. We talked about this in Psalm 84, how we're moving in towards his very presence, aren't we? 
we're becoming closer to him as you get into the gates, as you get into, as you get into the uh, courts. You're coming close to God. Be thankful to him and bless his name. The psalmist there is giving us the, the, this exhortation that now our praise goes directly to him. We are in his presence and now we are thanking him and we are blessing his name directly to to him. Do you ever think about that? That when we come to worship on a Sunday morning, you know, like Evan does such an excellent job on selecting music that will reflect what it is we're going to be speaking about. He's outstanding at this. Uh, but does it ever occur to us that we, that we are singing to the Lord? He is the one listening to this worship. He is the one listening for what is in our heart and what are we are offering Him. We walk out, we go, man, that was a great worship service because I really liked the music that Evan chose today. Or we walk out and say, well, it wasn't so much for me because I didn't like the music that Evan chose today. You understand? This is not contingent on the music that Evan chooses. This is, we are in God's presence and we are exalting Him. First, because He's the Lord, He is God. But secondly, notice the parallel here, a declaration about God. For the Lord is good. Here's another reason to exalt him. The Lord is good. And the implication of that goodness falls, drops out in this way. How do we know the Lord is good? Because his mercy is everlasting. That word, his mercy is everlasting. The word that represents that is the word that Evan was speaking about a week ago when he changed the words to a particular hymn that we were going to sing from reckless love to steadfast love. And I said, there's a word for that in Hebrew. It's hesed right here. That's the word hesed that Evan was appealing to last week. His mercy is everlasting. That is, there's a loyal love towards us. This chesed that just pours itself out upon us. That he's continually desiring to draw us to himself in mercy, in goodness, and in kindness. And his truth endures to all generation. Also, the word truth can be uh, translated as steadfastness. His faithfulness. And that which is true is steadfast. And that which is faithful will remain uh, faithful to truth. Okay? You can see there's a solidarity that is there. So what do we have? We have this this loyal love, this mercy that is everlasting towards us because God is good. And so it it, uh, demonstrates itself in that way. And then he is steadfast in that meaning. It will continue to endure. Now, I got to give you a heads up. It's going to sound a lot like next Sunday morning. We're all going to be there at 9.15, waiting for Lori, okay, who's going to start at 9.30. And there's going to be a brief message that I'm going to have an opportunity to share. And we're going to come from Psalm 117. We're actually, see, you will all know this, that, that we're actually continuing our series. Nobody else will know that, but you guys will know that now. We're continuing our series, and we're going to do Psalm 117. And you're going to say, well, didn't you just talk on this last week? Well, be honest with you, this is, the, Psalm 117 is two verses. This is the content of the first verse. And this is the content of the second verse. So it's going to sound kind of familiar. All right? But notice this particular psalm. His mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. So in contemplating 
next Sunday when we speak together. I asked the Bible study last Wednesday night. We looked at Psalm 117. We jumped ahead. We looked at Psalm 117 and I said, all right, what should I say from Psalm 117 as they looked at this content right here? What do I say about that? And I thought Mary Capping had something that was absolutely golden. What do we need to communicate from that? Here's what she said. He loves us and he will tomorrow too. Ah, what a simple way of encapsulating the magnificent truth that is there. Yeah, we we speak about he loves me now, but Mary just added that in. And he will tomorrow too. Regardless of how I might have messed up today, when I wake up tomorrow, he's still going to love me. So we praise God, the Lord because he is God over us. We praise the Lord because he is good to us. Now let's finish with one last thought and understand why this, is so, this statement is so significant. Imagine if you would that the one who is God over us was evil. What if he delighted to create us so he could cause us pain? What if he delighted to create us so he could torture us. What if he delighted to create us? He had the power. We're, we're still under his authority, right? He's God. But what if our God was evil? What if our God was one who rejoiced to see his creatures suffer? Wouldn't that be horrific? That's why this second half is so significant. Because he's God. He can do what he wants. But what does he desire to do? To pour out his mercy which is everlasting, his loyal love, and to do it forever. He's not going to change in that. Our God, one, he's God. Two, he's good. Therefore, we can, we can praise him with the exuberant exaltation and just enter with great joy, great blessing. My friend Mauro, my hunting partner for many, many years, we would go post the land together. And his is one of the names on my pickup truck. We would go post the land together every year. And we'd get into conversations about life. And uh, Melro was, far- was a farmer who loved to farm. Loved to farm. Just loved farming. And he was a potato farmer. And Melro was loading bulk potatoes one year into a, uh, into a train car. And he's standing right in the door of the train car, and here's the bulk potato conveyor. He's standing between the two, and signals got messed up somewhere, and they moved the train. And it crushed him between the edge of the door of the train car and the potato conveyor. All right, loading those bulk potatoes. His life changed immediately. Could not farm a day after that. Spent the rest of his life every day in agonizing pain, and uh, eventually I just watched this pain wear him down because he was a very strong man to begin with. But I watched it wear him down as I, as I took him to the hospital in Crookston for the, his last time. He never came out of the hospital. The man had every reason to live his life in bitterness. He had every reason to say some stupid jerk moved the train and changed my life. I should not be in this condition. But I'm telling you, year after year, as we would talk, here's where Melrose rested. I have a good wife. I have great kids. 
I live in a good community, and I have a good God. And he was able to cope each day because he understood, I have a good God, and he is well-intended towards me, and he is desiring good things for me, and I know his mercy is everlasting every day. I know that for all generations he will be steadfast in his love to me. My friends, we began with, well, I got stuff, don't we? But you see, the reality of what this psalm is saying is like, you know what? We all go through things, sometimes of our own making, sometimes of somebody else's making. We all got stuff. But the gospel is calling us to understand The good news in Jesus Christ is calling us to understand that despite the stuff, which is a very real reality, there is a God who is sovereign, and in his sovereignty he is also good. And he is desiring to work good things into our lives, and we can trust him for those good things. May each of us today as we wrestle with those places in our lives where it's like, I just want this to be so different. May we be, come to a place where we say, Lord, yeah, I want it to be different. And your word tells me you're good. Will you, will you work in this situation? I turn it over to you and I'm trusting you for it. And I'm just going to trust in the fact that you are good and you care for your children. And Lord, I'm going to find peace in that place. Will you please stand as we close in prayer? Father, the magnificence of who you are is God is wonderful to behold, but it would be frightening to consider the power you have over us if we did not also understand that although that being God over us, you are also good to us. And so, Father, we trust you to be taking that magnificent power that is yours and pouring it out into the lives of us, your children, in such ways that we see your mercy and your kindness each day so that we can rejoice in you. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.